Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I want to hear cannons. Three step drop, close all the end zone. Caught ball, touchdown, Tampa Bay. Mike Evans reaches up with one hand and grabs it in. It's first and goal. That's picked off. That's picked off. And who else? Rondé Barber. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may ride to the Super Bowl with that one. We don't even keep score. We just run that up and leave. Third down, 18. Dropping Gannon, looking Gannon, looking Gannon. Those up in the head. That's it. At the 30. Derrick Brooks, 30. Brooks to the 29. He's going. Derrick Brooks all the way. There it is. The dagger's in. We're going to win the Super Bowl. This is Mike Allstott, Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. And there are the cannons coming. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 3-2, and two, but they still have half a game lead on the NFC South as a lot of the good teams that we wanted to lose last weekend ended up losing. And while the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' 20-6 loss against the Detroit Lions on Sunday was not what we had hoped for, there is some good things that we can take away from this game and uh, hopefully bring into next week's game as they look to bounce back against an NFC South opponent in the Atlanta Falcons. Welcome back to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast, live today on YouTube. I'm your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host from BucksNation.com, the Philly Bucks fan himself, decked out in Philly's gear from head to toe. Evan Wanish joins us today. How you doing, my friend? Doing good. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's red October, so... Um... Got, got it, got to have it. So, Philly's up one nothing in the series. So, hopefully, they can uh, get back to the World Series and finish the job this time. But uh, yeah, it's you know, Bucks are just trying to move on. You know, just trying to move on to a a very, very important game. Um, like a very important game coming up. Or, I mean, a lot of people say, okay, the biggest game of your season is the next one. No, like this is the biggest game of the Bucks season thus far. I mean, it's a divisional game. Uh, they're already one and zero in the division. It'd be huge if they could get the two and zero here against the, a Falcons team that, honestly, like I, I think they're they're better than like they're, they're better than this team. So a, a loss would really do a lot of damage. I think. Yeah, and as for the Bucks, you know, three and two, still a positive record halfway through October, and as we had mentioned before, a lead in the division, looking to win it for the third year in a row. The Detroit Lions are a good team, and the Bucks mm-hmm. were not the better team on Sunday. They were out coached, they were out man, they were out physical, whatever you want to call it. People were getting a little picky with us about the adjective that we used to describe the game, but regardless, the Bucks got beat. That that's what happened at the end of the day, and the Bucks. In another test on the season, prove that they are not the team that maybe a lot of people had hyped them up to be. And that is okay, because we have been saying since the start of the season on this podcast, this is the year to temper expectations, but ultimately for the Bucks to see what they have. And there were a few bright spots on the field for the Bucks aside from the creamsicle uniforms last Sunday. And we're going to open it up and talk about the veteran, Levante David, man. What a game for him. I mean, he is the ageless wonder. At, at over 30 years old, a lot of people worry about not just the linebacker position, but any position in the NFL slowing down, becoming less productive. Some of those older guys not even being out there for as many plays as they are. But Levante David was a one-man wrecking crew against the Detroit Lions, not just tackling, but in coverage. He held Sam Laporta in check for most of the game. You know, obviously Laporta got his, but 
Vontae David was pretty damn good in coverage. Made that one good play on one of the early targets that Laporta had in the game. And uh, as far as his stats on that game... Vontae David also had a sack. So He did also have a sack, which he is known for. He did that the last time he wore the cream sickles, too, against New Orleans. So uh, good things come back around. Nine tackles for Levante David, and of course the sack that we had mentioned. What did you think of number fifty-four? And he's only on a one-year deal, so the Bucks potentially have him as another free agent after this season. Yeah, I mean, well, I do think you know you mentioned the age. Um, for one, I thought he was yeah really good on Sunday. Obviously, there was a few times he sort of got faked out of his shoes a little bit. Um, on the monitor St. Brown touchdown, he failed to to really pick him up there. He got faked out of his shoes a few times, but like it's okay, like that's gonna happen. But uh, I thought he was really good. Like you said, in pass coverage made a couple of nice breakups, had that sack, of course. So yeah, he just continues to be a really, really good football player. And you're right, it's you're kind of expecting. You're like, all right, one of these times, like you're gonna see, oh, that's a 33 year old. You know, like like one of these times, you go back, oh yeah, there's. 33-year-old Levante David, where, you know, 26-year-old Levante David makes that play and 33-year-old Levante David doesn't, but it really hasn't shown up. Like, it's, it, it hasn't shown up like that. So, um, yeah, he's been really good. And like you mentioned about, you know, the contract and and this is a discussion that we're going to have to have, you know, I think throughout the season, but also in the offseason because the Buccaneers have a lot of people uh, up for contract. I know a lot of people want to talk about Mike Evans and it, because it's, it's the biggest one, I think. But uh, Levante David's right there there too and if Levante David decides to continue playing which honestly it's, it's no guarantee like I think it's going to be year to year at this point for Levante David uh, he's going to be 34 uh, in January so it's he's going to be 34 at the start of next season so it's going to be another year older if he decides to continue playing, uh, I think it's in the Bucks' best interest to, to try and bring him back at, at, you know, at a number that makes sense, uh, maybe a similar deal as it was to this year. But, you know, it all depends on what Levante David wants to do, if he wants to continue playing uh, or hang him up, or if he wants to continue playing for the Bucks, or does he look at the Bucks situation and say, you know, like, I've had a great career here. I want a Super Bowl, but now I, I want to go get it, try and get another Super Bowl. Tampa may not offer that best chance. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. And while he, you know, is he the player that he was five years ago? No, but that's just naturally, you know, that's naturally going to happen. You have to change, you know, your style and, like, you're going to change a little bit as age goes on. But still an insanely productive player uh, for how old he is and um, still somebody who offers a lot of value to the football team. And I got to say, I think it's a real shame when the Hall of Fame conversation is brought up with a player like Levante David, because for Luke Keekley, it's no question, right? Because the difference between those two guys is a couple of Pro Bowls and maybe one or two years of all pro nods that Levante just wasn't playing in the market to get, right? The 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 excuse for the longest time is that the Bucks were not a relevant team. So Levante wasn't a relevant player, right. but he is right. it wasn't pace. they didn't make the playoffs until he was already in the league a long time. Like Keekley went to the Super Bowl pretty early, you know. Yeah. He kept pace with a lot of the top linebackers across the league. You look at guys like Demario Davis in New Orleans. You look at Luke Keekley, Bobby and, Wagner. Yeah, Bobby Wagner as well. The, all of those stats are comparable. And Levante, I'd argue, is better than all of those guys and, and has obviously up to this point more longevity as well because his game has not faltered a bit. Um, but your honest opinion before we move on to the next bright spot from Sunday's loss, do you think he ends up in the Hall of Fame? Because I, I know that... 
I know that the accolades aren't there as far as the popularity contest stuff, right? You know, not enough All-Pro nominations, not enough Pro Bowls, um, maybe not enough playoff appearances if that's something they want to get picky about. But he does have a Super Bowl. And I feel like at the end of the day, we're going to get to the point where the Hall of Fame is just going to have to start letting some of these guys in because there's a lot of players in a similar in a similar spot as Levante where you could argue all day till you're blue in the face that these guys belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but if the accolades aren't there, and that's what usually the go-to excuse is, then they're not going to get in. What do you think about uh, Levante? Yeah, well, one, I don't think Pro Bowls should be used um, as an accolade to get you into the Hall of Fame. No way. Especially no any, way. Anytime, anytime fans can have a say in it, like fans are basically having a say on who makes the Hall of Fame. Like, you know, I, I don't know. But at the same time, I get it. And like you said, I think Levante David, the Hall of Famer, and you said, you know, there's a bunch of guys. I'm sure, you know, there's guys we're not thinking about right now that played for probably every team in the NFL. You can name, you're like, oh, this guy, how's this guy not in the Hall of Fame? Um, but at the same time, I like the Hall of Fame being like special. And I feel like, you know, if you start letting just anybody in, you know, anybody who's like, oh, he's a great player, it gets diminished a little bit. Now, that's not I'm not saying that for Levante David's case. Um, I do think Levante David should be a Hall of Famer. Now, will he be? The odds are probably not. Um, I I would say probably not. I just think I think the issue was I think he got the Super Bowl too late in his career. Um, because I think once he got the Super Bowl, then people started to pay attention a little bit more. Um, I think one, you know, before Tom Brady came, before they, they started winning football games, everybody was like, yeah, Levante David's a good player, but like people outside of Tampa didn't really realize how good he was. And like 2013, I thought was like one of the best seasons of his career. And he didn't even make the Pro Bowl. Um, so like, it's just, it, it's tough. I don't think Pro Bowl should matter, but it does, unfortunately. And, uh, Levante David just, um, uh, doesn't have enough of those. So I think he's going to be one of those guys that is undoubtedly in the Bucks ring of honor. Like he will be in the Bucks ring of honor, but unfortunately I, I don't expect him to make the Hall of Fame. Well, and you talk about that level of exposure after Tom Brady comes to the Bucks, And Mike Evans could obviously be lumped into that conversation as well. I have never seen more love for Mike Evans across the league than I have these last three, four seasons. People started to appreciate what he was when Brady got here, and he was one of the most consistent receivers on the team. Obviously, 10 straight seasons uh, that he's going for of 1,000 yards. You know, no one's done that yet. But I almost feel like the same could be said about him. Like, it, you know, he doesn't really uh, have the accolades, but it, he, he, uh, everybody he, would Levant, argue he's Levante a David, Levante David has one Pro Bowl. Mike Evans has four. And, and Mike Evans has a Super Bowl. So, like, you know, I know Levante David has a Super Bowl, but Levante David has three less Pro Bowls than Mike Evans does. And Mike Evans could very well, yeah, like have like the record for most consecutive thousand yard seasons in a row. So I think I think Mike Evans is a pretty safe bet for the Hall of Fame. I think Mike Evans is a more safe bet. And also, sure. and, and Mike Evans is also is also three years younger than Levante David. That is true. And I, I do think having you know an NFL first record on your resume is going to go a long way as well. And I also didn't realize that Mike had been to four Pro Bowls. For some reason, I was thinking he only had two or three, but. I just think it's something uh, something to consider moving forward. But Levante, David, uh, again, the ageless wonder around here in Tampa Bay. Hopefully he can stay consistent and stay healthy the rest of the season. Another bright spot from Sunday's loss to Detroit was actually someone who was brought up in the live chat by our buddy Zach Jarvis. He says, do you guys think right tackle Luke Gedeke is having a Pro Bowl season? 
as of right now. And we have talked a little bit even before the game about Luke Gedeke and his transition to right tackle and how it seems to be going pretty well. Uh, you know, he, he kind of stuck his neck out before the game and, and made some comments about Aiden Hutchinson as a pass rusher. And he seemed to handle him. I mean, he did a pretty good job. You know, Aiden Hutchinson didn't have too many pressures on the quarterback, and it seems like a lot of the damage done to Baker was done by a lot of the other guys on that Lions defensive line. So what do you think of Gedeke so far, and do you think he can stay consistent? Well, to answer the question, I don't know if I'd say Pro Bowl season. Um, I mean, he has been good, though. Uh, I, I do think Luke Gedeke has been good. I'm not sure if I'd say Pro Bowl. Um, but, yeah, he's been good. And honestly, like, those comments, man, how many times have we seen, like, I was expecting Aiden Hudson to just dominate on Sunday. Because I was like, man, I was like, and then that comment's going to be surfacing all over the place and and this and that. I was like, why like, why did you have to open your mouth? <laughs> like, well, why did you have to say that? Um, but, yeah, he handled his own. And, and honestly, he, he did a, a really, really nice job. And hopefully, you know, he can, like you said, he can build on it. And I, I am... I am hopeful that Luke Gedeke can become this team's like long term, you know, right tackle because right now uh, he has been really good and uh, you know it's it's been good. Aiden Hutchinson had one pressure uh, yesterday, um, and he had or yesterday. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I read a tweet um, from uh, Brad Spielberger of PFF said Aiden Hudson had one pressure yesterday after at least six in every game. Uh, Luke Gedeke play, is playing some really good football right tackle. Bucks may have their tackle tandem set. So, you know, that's basically it. Like, Aiden Hutchinson was a dominant player right now, and Luke Gedeke was able to shut him down. So while I don't know if he's Pro Bowl, like, level player right now, like, I don't know if he's playing at that level, um, he has been really good. And, like, it's, it's a positive sign for the future. If you can have left tackle and right tackle locked down for the next 10 years, it just makes everything else so much easier along your among your offensive line and among like your team building strategy because tackles are like one of the toughest things to find man there's not like i can't name many teams that have two like really good tackles like there there's a weakness there at some point and to be able to have your Trista Wirfs on the left side there and, you know, he's looking like an all-pro left tackle. That's a seamless transition for him. And to have Luke Gedeke there as a right tackle who, like I said, I think I said uh, like a week ago or so, if Luke Gedeke could be like a DeMar Dotson type, just like a, you know, a steady Eddie, just like somebody who's not going to wow you, but it's always going to be consistent, do his job and just be a serviceable tackle. Right now, Luke Gedeke's going above that. So uh, if you can get any other production out of that, that's a bonus. And I think you're starting to see Luke Gedeke last year was a guy who played right tackle at Central Michigan and then went to the NFL and was playing one on the completely different side and then also on the completely different position. So I think you're seeing that, and uh, hopefully, yeah, he'll be able to build on it. Because right now, it's only five games. It's a small sample size, which is why I'm saying, you know, like let's let's hold it a little bit, but it is very encouraging. It is a small sample size, so this may be a loaded question here, but I got to ask, if Luke Gedeke, at least for the rest of this season, can continue to be what you call a steady Eddie, a guy who shows up every week and isn't going to wow you, isn't going to make an elite play, but he, he's going to do his job, and every now and again he's going to have a good game. If he can continue to do that, then do you think that right and left tackle combination is better than Tristan Wirfs at right tackle and Donovan Smith at left tackle? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I do, just because, one, I think left tackle is more valuable than right tackle. Is Tristan um, Wirfs so, already a better left tackle than, than maybe D. Smith was? 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. Um, so like I, I think one, I, I don't know if if and people are going to be angry, but like Luke he's only played five games at right tackle right now. It's a small sample size. So I don't know if in terms of tackle, if Luke Gedeke is better than Donovan Smith was as a Buccaneer. But I do think, you know, on, as far as the left side goes, Tristan Wirfs is a much better tackle than Donovan Smith was. And left tackle is the more valuable position. So having Luke Gedeke at right tackle, if you have a, an elite left tackle and an okay right tackle, you should be able to be passable on offense. Like you should be able to get by among your offensive line. Um, so like, that's why I do think, yeah, this combination is probably better than having Worfs on the right and Smith on the left, just because having Worfs on the left and being better is more valuable to an offense. Yeah. And I asked that question about the tackles in particular, because the interior offensive line for the Bucks still maybe leaving some things to be desired. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into the worst of Sunday's loss, but I want to talk about the other side of the line of scrimmage to wrap up this side of the conversation. And I want to gush over Kalijah Kansi once again, because we talked about him on yesterday's show and had a lot of good things to say about him. Snap count comes out. He plays damn near 70% of the defensive snaps as a rookie who has not played in four weeks. And he gets a sack. He shows up and run defense. The Lions had a pretty tough day running the ball. Like a lot of the Lions fans who were you know, talking some smack in our comment section, also noticed that Sunday was maybe one of their weaker offensive performances on the season, even though Jared Goff was out there, you know, just wrecking shop. Um, as far as Kalijah Kansi goes, 11 snaps in week one, he gets a quarterback hit. He has played 51 total snaps up until this point of the season, I believe, right around 50 snaps, which is not a lot. And I don't want to set high expectations because, again, with, with defensive tackles, we know that sometimes that metamorphosis uh, takes some time. You know, look at Vita Vea. It took him a couple of years to become the big Polynesian monster that we love so much now. So for Kalijah Kansi, I, I do see a lot of good. And I think he can continue to do a lot of good on this Bucks defensive line, not only as a rotational player, but as a guy who gets more and more up to speed as the season goes on, because again, he, he really, in the grand scheme of things has not played that much this season. No, he's barely played. I mean, basically Sunday was his first game. Pretty much like the Vikings was like an extra practice rep, I guess, you know, is um, so it was encouraging to see. And it's, he's a big part of the future here. You know, if the Buccaneers are gonna, you know, be able to turn it around quick and get back to Super Bowl contention. They need a guy like Kalaja Kansi to step up. Like Vita Vea is a great player right now. He's in his prime, but like he's not going to be in his prime forever. So like they need a guy like Kalaja Kansi to help, you know, with that interior pass rush and give a little bit of juice to that pass rush, which Pass rush is needing it because you know the pass rush has not been good uh the past few weeks. I don't the I even made a, a video on James's channel about this. Like the, the stats aren't bad. Like, like, like the stats aren't bad. They had three sacks against the Lions, they had three sacks against the Saints, only one against Philly. But like you look at the eye test when you watch the game, like it doesn't feel like it. Like it didn't feel like they had three sacks against Detroit. Jared Goff had a lot of time. Everybody wonders why they can convert third and longs. Wallace because the quarterback has all day to throw. So the pass rush has been an issue, but Kalaja Kansi can certainly help with that, especially from the interior. So I, I think 
him being good and him panning out is one, it's a must. And we talked about that pre-draft, like whoever the Bucks drafted at 19, like it hit had to hit. Like it just, it was one they could not afford to miss on so far. So good. Very, very, very early, but so far so good. So now we get into the other side of the spectrum here, getting into the conversation of some of the worst performances from Sunday. And this one kind of falls in the middle. Wanted to talk about Baker Mayfield really quickly as the quarterback. You had put out a video on Mr. Bucks Nation channel basically asking the question, you know, is it time to press the panic button? Is it time to maybe be worried about Baker Mayfield as a long-term solution for the Bucks at quarterback? And we are still just a few weeks into the season, so so maybe you were playing into the uh, emotional response that a title like that is going to <laughs> to give people and make them want to click on the video. I totally get it. But... You know, for a lot of the Baker doubters, this is maybe the dud they have been waiting for. And I will say in a lot of ways, it feels like it potentially could have been worse. Uh, he did he did have a lot of pressure. You know, he, he was under pressure a lot. Uh, he did take a lot of hits. Mike Evans was dropping a lot of passes. Some other guys were dropping a lot of passes. The deep ball was off. That, that's got to yeah. get better, obviously. We know that that's going to be a process. But moving forward... When you look at Baker, do you think he's he's ultimately going to bounce back and, and play like the Baker we have seen so far this season next week against a lesser defense in the Falcons? Because I I, I, mean, I personally think he will. Like, I definitely still have faith in the guy. I think the honeymoon phase is over for a lot of people, but I, I still think that he can turn it around and and show us the player that we have seen early on in the season. Yeah, and I even I addressed this in the video. I think, you know, I mentioned how how big of a game this is coming up for Tampa. I think it's an even bigger game for Baker Mayfield. Like if they go out there and the offense throws another dud out there and the Bucks lose, like the noise around Baker Mayfield starts to get even louder. Like then you're starting to be like, all right, like they're gonna make a switch. And then you know you go on a short week to Buffalo. If you lose that game, the offense doesn't look good. Like that's three in a row. With your offense not looking too good, like when is it time? And uh, that's why I think this game is important for Baker Mayfield. That being said, you asked, you know, is he going to bounce back? I mean, I have to say, yeah, just because like history so far this season has shown me that he will. Now, you know, he bounced back from a rough Philly game. Um, and then he bounced back and played, I think, his best game of the season in New Orleans. So I have to imagine that he's going to be able to bounce back from this. If he doesn't, that's maybe cause for concern. Is it sound the alarm time to put in Kyle Trask? No, not yet. But that's where, like, you lose that game and you don't play well, the wheels start to get in motion for that, right? The the noise starts to get louder. That'd be two straight losses. That's to, to a divisional opponent, so you'd no longer be in first place in the NFC South. Uh, you, you would lose that. So then you start to get that, you know, sort of thought in the head. But I do think he's going to bounce back. Will he be spectacular and be, you know, even as good as he was against New Orleans? Maybe not. Like, but he doesn't have to be. Um, so, like, that's not what he has to do. He just has to play better. And, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, I said it on the post game show. I thought he started off fine against Detroit. Not good, but fine against Detroit. And then sort of as the game went on, he, he got a little bit worse. I don't know, you know, if the, the left hand, the, you know, the bruised left hand, I don't know if that had something to do with it. We'll see if he's on the injury report this week. I would imagine he maybe shows up there, even if it's, you know, just limited or full participation. I would imagine he shows up on the injury report with the hand. But, um, 
we'll have to wait and see because you know inconsistency and injuries are the two things that have kept him from being a consistent starter in this league. And right now, um, you know, and he has a little he is a little bit banged up, and you have seen some of that inconsistency. So the Falcons defense also, while it's not as good as Detroit's or Phillies still a decent unit. Like it, it's a better unit than it has been in years past. So I don't think it's anything to, to sleep on for se. Just over a thousand yards for Baker Mayfield on the season at 1088, seven touchdowns, three interceptions and a QB rating of 91.3. I think he'll bounce back, but I'll ask you one more question about the QB position for the bucks. You know, when you have Tom Brady or even when you have Jameis Winston, when we look at years before when Jameis Winston was benched, you put a lot more stock in going out to get a Tom Brady or a Jameis Winston. And let's just pretend for the sake of conversation, it wasn't Tom Brady, but it was a free agent that they gave up a lot of resources to go get. He plays bad. His leash is maybe going to be a little bit longer than Baker's would yeah. in this case. But do like, you think if the they, Bucks... if they went out and signed like Jimmy Garoppolo instead of Baker Mayfield, you know, like, they, yeah, if he plays bad, like he's probably still going to be the starter and that leash is going to be pretty long. So do you think it's extra pressure and, and the Bucks would maybe be quicker than some expect to just throw Kyle Trask in there? If let's say Baker no. goes and th- lays an egg next week in the first half, or is it something no. that takes two to three weeks to kind of build up? Because that that's what used to happen with Jameis and Fitz magic. You know, you'd, you'd get a couple of games back and forth and it was, it, it felt like by the time the change had happened, it was overdue. You know what I'm saying? To, to me, it can't be that quick. Uh, I think it's going to have to take probably two or three weeks because to me, putting in Kyle Trask, and this isn't really a slight on Kyle Trask, but putting in a guy who lost the quarterback job to Baker Mayfield in the preseason and hasn't made an NFL regular season start, putting him in would basically signal that you're giving up on the season. Just in my opinion, from my view of it, you bench Baker Mayfield, the guy who you signed as a free agent. He beat out your, he beat out the guy that you drafted, and then you're putting in that guy. That sort of signals to me, like, yeah, all right, you kind of know this season's kind of lost. So, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I think it'd probably take these next three games, Falcons, Bills, Texans, to probably all be losses. Um, I think if that were to happen, that'd be four straight losses. Uh, and also, like, if Baker Mayfield throws for 300 yards in all of them, but the defense just gets shredded, that's a little different. So, like, assuming Baker Mayfield doesn't play particularly well in those games, you know, that'd be four straight losses. That'd be five losses in the last six games. Um, I would probably think you'd have to pull the trigger then at that point because – you know, once you get after, you know, two losses is bad. Once you get after two, three is terrible. And then once you get the four straight, that's the when the wheels really can start to fall off. So uh, I don't think they're going to have a quick trigger finger there uh, because I think they know that, like, putting in Kyle Trask probably it, – it's going to say as much to the team as it will to the fan base, I think. You know, putting in a guy who just does not have the regular season experience and got beat out by the guy you just benched doesn't exactly inspire much confidence. So uh, I don't think they're going to be too eager uh, to replace Baker Mayfield. But I also don't think like if they think Baker Mayfield no longer gives them the best shot or they want to see Trask, right? If they're like, look, we've seen enough of Baker. We're not resigning him after the season. Let's see what we have in Trask. Maybe Trask can show us something for next season. Then I do think they would make that switch. But I think a lot would have to go wrong. Just like in the training camp and preseason that we said, you know, Kyle Trask has a shot, 
but like a lot has to go wrong for Baker Mayfield for Kyle Trask to be the starter. And I think that rings true in the, in the regular season as well. Yeah, I do agree. A, a guy on the other side of the football who's pretty popular in the live chat right now. I figured we could get to this topic. Ryan Neal at the safety position, uh, obviously <laughs> took away from sna- uh, took away some snaps from D Delaney, who I I can't believe I'm saying this has has been playing like one of the better safeties on the team up until this point in the season, being one of the highest graded players in coverage at his position. So, do you think maybe after last week it is time for the Bucks to take a look at it? It maybe giving D Delaney some more snaps over Ryan Neal, because I know that that was one of our big free agent acquisitions. And and we hyped this guy up a lot coming from Seattle. He seemed like a physical player. He kind of seemed like a similar blueprint to a Jordan Whitehead, who I still can't believe the Bucks let walk, but it is what it is. Um, Everybody. Yeah. I mean, he he gets the game winning touchdown against Philly, you know, how, how poetic for him, but back to, no, he didn't, he didn't get that pick. He didn't pick that ball off. Are you sure? Yeah, the guy's last name was it's like Tony Adams or something. Number, uh, number twenty-two picked. Pick well, I, I thought he. I thought he made some sort of play. Regardless, he's been. I, I mean, he did make a play on fourth down, but okay, there you go. There he you did go. make a play that on counts. Fourth down. That that counts. Thank you. So I was kind of right. We can put an asterisk next to what I said, right? Yeah, it's fine. Fifty-fifty. Right. Thanks for giving that one to me. It's nice to win one sometimes. So, <laughs> talking about the situation with Tampa Bay. Uh, D Delaney has been better up until this point in the season. And I do think the bucks know that, but as for Ryan Neal, what are your thoughts on, on, on where he is? Is, is this going to be another free agent flame out? Like we have seen before. Well, one thing I will say, it's not like he signed a big money deal in free agency. You know, it's no, not you're, like you're right. But for the, for the limited off season, the bucks had, he was definitely like one of the few signings to get excited about. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Um, an interesting thing, you know, Josh Capo, pure report, uh, mentioned that today and uh, or last night in a tweet said, I know fans are ready to write off Ryan Neal already, but something interesting to consider. And I found this interesting too. And actually I thought this is, this is what I saw on the tape too. Like when I watching the game and then watching some film, like that's what I saw too. Like they're not using him the same way Seattle did. So in 2022 with Seattle, Neal played 47% of his snaps from the box, only 31% of his snaps from the free safety position. This year, those numbers are flipped, and then some, he says, 32% in the box and 42% free safety. So you're kind of asking him to do something a little different here, and it's weird because it doesn't feel like Bowles is playing to a player's strengths there. Um, that's a drastic difference there. That is that is a big difference um, in, you know, I mean, 47% down to 32% um, in, in the box. That's that's big. And I just don't think Ryan Neal is that type of player. So uh, while he has struggled, and rightfully so, like the calls for, you know, and the criticism of him is right. Um, ben Dean Delaney has been better. That being said, the Bucks aren't exactly putting him in a great position, I don't think. So I'll be curious to see if, you know, I think the noise is getting pretty loud now, and he got like exposed against Detroit. So I do wonder if Bowles maybe goes back to the drawing board, switches things up a little bit, and we see an improved Ryan Neal for the rest of the season. Because yeah, I mean, right now you're looking at like a guy like a guy you took a shot on, um, and it just doesn't work out. So it's like oh, okay, that's just a one year deal. You know, let him walk at the end of the season. But uh, yeah, he's not been that great. Yeah, Todd Bowles is a defensive coordinator has has been known to get creative as the season goes on. And I I still think there is plenty of regular season football left for Ryan Neal to step up and make a play. And I think he will at some point this season step up and make a play and, and maybe get back in favor 
uh, with some of the fan base who are quick to 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 you know to pile onto a guy. But he was pretty bad on Sunday, and hopefully, the Bucks can see what's going on with his usage in the defense there and and adjust accordingly. Let's wrap it up with the Buccaneers run game. This has been, Ugh. yeah, this has been a topic <laughs> of discussion and. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. We were getting ripped to shreds the first few weeks of the season when the Bucks were winning games, and we were still like, hey, maybe this run game isn't right where we want it to be just yet. Um, but here is a thread of the Buccaneers running game, courtesy of Greg Allman from Fox Sports, which was dead last in the NFL in yards per carry and yards per game in 2022. Somehow, Palpatine has returned. Somehow, it has managed <laughs> to get worse in 2023. The Bucks averaged 3.39 yards per carry last year. Now at 2.96, still worst in the league. They are 29th in yards per game, largely on volume. There are 71 running backs with 15-plus carries this season in Bucks backups. Sean Tucker, 1.7 yards per carry, and Keyshawn Vaughn, 1.5 yards per carry, are the two worst in yards per carry. Only players carrying that much and averaging worse are three quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, and Kenny Pickett. Starter Rashad White isn't much better. He is averaging 3.3 yards per carry, down from 3.7 his rookie year. That ranks him 27th out of 33 backs with 50-plus carries, on pace for 789 yards over a full season, but not with an effective running average. That looks like a Peyton Barber stat line if I have ever seen one. But for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now in the running back room, it seems like there are more question marks than ever. What the hell's going on with Rashad White? Why are the Bucs not using him the way that they promised to in the offseason? Where is Sean Tucker? Why is Keyshawn Vaughn taking away snaps from Sean Tucker? And what is that going to look like for the rest of the season? Todd Bowles did address that and said that we can expect that to flip-flop as the weeks go on. They felt like Keyshawn Vaughn was maybe more fit for the New Orleans game, and after that, he was more fresh. But I don't know if I if I buy that all the way. That sounds like coach speak to me. But Evan, what the hell is going on with the Buccaneers run game? Because uh, things are not getting better. I guess Chase Edmonds going to save the day. I guess when he comes back soon. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, he is eligible to return. I think this week. So I, I haven't heard anything. But um, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. It's just these guys just might not be good. Like. Honestly, and it's not all on the running backs. It's not. It's a combination of everything. It's the offensive line. It's the play calling. It's when you're calling the plays. It's how you're scheming them up. Like, it's not all on the running backs. At the same time, though, like, sometimes make a play, man. Like, sometimes you got to make a play. And Rashad White, disappointing. Keyshawn Vaughn, we know what he is. Sean Tucker, like, yeah, Sean Tucker looks like a guy who was undrafted. Like, looks like he probably would have been drafted if he wasn't, you know, if he was 100% healthy, sure. But, like, everybody's like, oh, this guy would have been drafted. Yeah, he still would have been, like, a sixth-round pick. Like, it wasn't like he was coming in and saving the day. Looks like a dude who would be drafted in the sixth round. So, there's just, there's nobody, there's nobody special. Like, like there, there's nobody special there. And you don't have to have a star running back. I don't think you have to have a star running back. But you got to be better. Um, you gotta be better than that. One thing, because I've seen it, and I want to end it with this. Um, one thing that I've seen on Twitter a lot, and everybody's like, oh, go do this, do this. Uh, everybody's like, oh, go get Rashad Penny from Philly. No. You wanna you wanna know why? They're like, oh, he, he's familiar with canals. Okay. One, I suggested Rashad Penny in the offseason. I suggested them to sign and they end up signing Chase Evans. You're gonna trade a draft pick for a guy that you could have had for the vet minimum, basically, in March, and you're going to trade a draft pick for him a few months later? No. So you like, think the, the Bucs already made playing. their decision? 
Yeah. Like he, he's not, if the Eagles release him, that's a different story, but he's literally, he's not playing. Why would I, why would I give a draft pick, any draft pick? Why would I give that up to a guy who's not playing? And especially a guy who you could have had for no draft pick at all just a few months ago, but you decided not to. So no, I don't, I don't want to hear the Rashad Penny stuff. I get it. Let me ask you this. One last question before we wrap it up. As far as the trade deadline coming up on October 31st, two weeks from today. With the running back room being what it is, I assume the Bucs are going to take their chances on Chase Edmonds coming back. I, I think he comes back, joins the team, and, and immediately gets involved in this run game. If he doesn't, though, and it's another week, another two weeks of lackluster performance, the Bucs have a few days to maybe try and make something happen. Do you think they ultimately look at some of these guys on losing teams that are going to be selling pieces, maybe like the Broncos or buddy Scott Jacks brings up Samaje Perrine from Denver in the live chat, buried in Denver's depth chart, but a guy who who kind of like Chase Edmonds, you know, you kind of know what you have in him. Has a little bit of upside and can definitely bring some juice in more ways than one as a rotational back, but nothing more. And the Bucks don't have a lot of spending room, but do you think they could could look to go that route if these next two games are just more god-awful uh, run game? Nah, I, I still don't. I think they want to give Rashad White as many opportunities as possible. So I think in the best case scenario, Rashad White proves himself. So I, I don't think they want to completely give up on Rashad White after five games, Um, even though, you know, honestly, Rashad White's been one of my most disappointing players. I mean, he's a non-factor in the past game, Um, and he doesn't really do much in the run game. Like, I'm starting to get out on Rashad White. Um, but like, I also like get it if they want to see him for the full season. So I don't expect the bucks to do really anything on the deadline. I don't expect them to sell anybody. I don't expect them to buy anybody. So I I wouldn't expect much there. I'm with you. I think the bucks are going to stay complacent. That's what this season is all about. That's really what this roster is not built for, but it's what this roster is here for. It's why a lot of these guys are getting the reps that they are. Keyshawn Vaughn, this might be one of the last seasons you really get to give him a sample size to see what he's all about before you maybe move on. Well, was, I, I think it, well his rookie contract's up, so like this is going to be his last season. Too. Yeah, I, I'd, I, I'd be pretty surprised if he was back. Right, but he's definitely getting more reps this season so far than he has at all these last three years. So, uh, you know, that's what the rest of the season is for, and we got a lot to find out. But the next time we talk to you guys will be on Friday. We'll be live with our buddy Will McFadden from the Believe in Falcons podcast for the Week 7 game preview. Another division game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they will take on the Atlanta Falcons. That game on the road? That's in Tampa. It oh. is in Tampa. So a second straight home game for 1 the Bucs. P- 1 p.m. and our buddy Chris Myers is ca- calling the game. So oh, Hopefully we can uh, get in touch with him and try and get him back on the following week. But that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you guys for hanging out with us on short notice over on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel for more great Tampa Bay Buccaneers content if you haven't already. And follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Go follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL. And check out his written work at BucksNation.com. You have anything coming out this week? Uh, yeah, obviously going to be talking with the uh, Falcons SB Nation site, doing a Q&A with them, and then also we'll have an X-Factor article out sometime this week. So be, keep an eye on for that. Awesome. Last but not least, you can find myself on Instagram and X at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. You made the switch. You know, peer pressure. 
it, 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 it's, it, I'm a product of my environment. I, I have heard more and more people, unfortunately, refer to it as X. And, and when I heard it from Joe Buck and Troy Aikman last night on the uh, Monday Night Football broadcast over and over and over, I just, I, I submit. So I, I guess follow me on X, formerly known as, the artist formerly known as Twitter, and personally I think one day again will be Twitter, at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T, A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show, folks. We'll talk to you on Friday with our buddy, Will McFadden. I'm your co-host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thank you for listening, and go box. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.